It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 210, Quantum podcast that looks at news and sport and culture and views from throughout the world from a Christian perspective, but open to all. I tell you what, let's begin with this. Now, this is the way to arrive in the stadium, a rich history of car manufacturing in the Midlands. The Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall to represent Her Majesty the Queen tonight. Now time to meet Stella and the Dreamers. And they're going to meet some of the key figures from Brum's history. Worcester's dear Edward Elgar dreamed the music of our nation. We'll talk about the Midlands claim to Charlie Chaplin. Samuel Johnson. That is the Commonwealth Games or some of the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony. Now, I could only watch so much of it because um, the Commonwealth Games themselves have been tremendous, especially if you're Australian, who are currently at the moment still leading the uh, medals table. But the opening ceremony, if you want an example of, of what's wrong with Britain, then it was it. It was just... Um, it was basically woke. I think... Uh, what was it Brendan O'Neill called? A finger-wagging lecture like being hit over the head with a guardian for three years. There was an identity checklist for all the woke causes. There was a poem about how horrible the Commonwealth was, how racist Britain was. And of course, it's all about pride, the BLM fist and so on. Uh, Tom Daly said that he, uh, amongst other things, he was shot by the headlines coming out of Sydney, you know, because uh, apparently because of the manly rugby stars not wearing pride jerseys, it shows that Australia is homophobic. I see Australia as this very liberal place, so to see homophobia like that still exists is concerning. Good on the players who wanted to play. And this is what he says. This is actually quite chilling. I don't think the NRL should stand for such strong views against a marginalised population. How would it be if you took a stance against any kind of minority? Why is it okay to do that against queer people? Well, they weren't taking a stand against queer people. They were taking a stand against being compelled to advertise one particular ideology. Daly himself takes a stand against Christians. Why is it okay for him to do that? He takes a stand against those who hold to a, a, a traditional view of marriage. Why is it okay for him to do that? Anyway, that was the Commonwealth Games, but this was some good news for England. It is hemp and it is deep. Oh, it's in! Chloe Kelly! Oh, the real things! England lead in extra time. The fairy tale fixture might just produce the fairy tale result for England. It was, of course, the England women winning the women's European final. And it, incredible. Um, I was really surprised. Maybe, maybe I wasn't that surprised to see. Was it almost 80,000 people in the stadium? And the 
the general delight and joy and interest in it. Well, as I say, good for them. Sport uh, sometimes does surprise you. And I, in many ways, sport can be a, a healing process. I do have to say, from my point of view, I was probably more depressed that Dundee lost their opening game of the season. But that's a personal cross I have to bear. Um, but then it's given me an excuse to play this. And here comes Hurst. He's got some fiddler on the pitch. They think it's all over. It is now. It's four. And Charlton. 1966. I wonder if 2022 will be mentioned as often as 1966 has been mentioned. Uh, why, why do I play that, by the way? Not just because it was an England-Germany final in England, but because I heard a fascinating thing on um, Last Word, which is a programme I listened to from the BBC about obituaries, one of the BBC's better programmes, about Ubi Zeller, the captain of the German team in the 1966 World Cup. And it was just a lovely insight into him. Uh, he's a Hamburg man, born, bred, lived there all his life. And I love the fact he was called Unsa Uwe. Our Uwe. Um, again, and he was described as a gentleman and a sportsman and all the rest of it. And sport can bring out the best in humanity. Well, in the world, what's happening Taiwan, Nancy Pelosi. So we're not, we, we are supporters of the status quo and the rest. Um, we don't want anything to happen to Taiwan by force. So strength, and, and one of the biggest sources of strength is democracy. She's been to Taiwan. She's been welcomed. She's left Taiwan. She's the most senior U.S. figure to visit Taipei this century. Uh, Last Sunday, I was preaching in a church where um, a Taiwanese family or a family from Taiwan were there and we were sitting having a meal with them and some of the other members of this Chinese church afterwards. It was absolutely lovely, but just fascinating listening to them talking and the concerns that they have. Because Beijing is furious about Pelosi's decision to go and they've warned there will be consequences. Now, I don't think anyone really expects China to attack Taiwan very soon, though who knows in a year, a couple of years, what will happen. But why is Taiwan so important? It's got a strategic location. It's a natural fortress. It really, if, if China took control of Taiwan, and of course they claim it as part of China because it was, and... Um, when Chiang Kai-shek was forced to flee, Mao took over all of mainland China. This island has remained a non-communist part of China and is in effect a different country, though China and most other countries in the world don't recognize that. However, the other important thing about Taiwan that we need to be aware of is that it is a vital part of the world economy because it is by far the leading manufacturer of the most advanced semiconductor chips. And basically, modern society could not function without those. If those were cut off by a Chinese blockade, the economic effects would dwarf that of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, I can't remember where I heard this. I suspect it was Tom Holland and Dominic Sandbrook on the Rest is History podcast. But I thought this was fascinating. They talked about 
or it may have been Cindy Yu on the Spectator China podcast, but they talked about Thelopides' the, the Peloponnesian War and how he describes the rise of Athens and the fall of Sparta made war inevitable, while the rise of China and the decline of the US makes war, if not inevitable, certainly much more likely, and there is much for us to pray for. Speaking of war, listen to this. Едет, едет трактор, синий трактор, едет трактор, едет трактор за мукой. That is a Ukrainian song about tractors. Um, it's about tractors pulling broken down Russian tanks. The war in Ukraine goes on. People are being killed every day. It is a war of attrition. It's a war being fought between America and Russia, or the West and Russia, with Ukraine being the proxy. The Ukrainians, of course, are defending their home, but there's so much more to this war than that. But some good news from that area was the first ship to leave Odessa with grain, I think it had 22,000 tonnes of it on it, um, has managed to get through the Black Sea. And we hope that this will enable the release of much more grain because the Egyptians, the Africans and the rest of the world indeed needs that. Okay, here are the Beals. Here comes the sun. Well, the sun has been shining in, in the UK and in the US. A, a little bit hot for some people. Um, we've not had a whole lot of sun here. But people are going to need it to keep themselves warm. In some news on that level, British Petroleum have reported the second highest profits in its history for the three months to June. They raked in £6.9 billion more than triple the amount during the same period last year. And in other news, typical energy bills are expected to hit around £3,600 a year this winter. The price Germany is paying to buy electricity a year in advance has passed €400 per megawatt for the first time ever, 10 times higher than normal. I listened to a BBC report pointing out that public lights, heating in libraries, showers in public swimming pool are going to be cold and so on, as the Germans desperately try to cut back on their dependence on Russian gas in preparation for the winter. And here's a fascinating report from Canberra. Now, the 
Australian Federal Parliament, which sits in Canberra, has just decided to go for 43% emissions cuts. Um, Again, as I've said many times before, I regard this as completely hypocritical and useless because it doesn't matter if Australia cuts its emissions if we keep sending coal to China and India and they're burning the coal that we would have used. Meanwhile, here, people are struggling. In Canberra itself, I read a fascinating article about how libraries are packed because they have a crowd at their doors before the 10 a.m. opening because they're warm and uh, people use them for that reason. This article states that we are reaching a point where clean water and electricity are considered luxuries. That their electricity bills and the gas bills are going to go up and the wood stoves once officially banned have now returned. How is it that Australia, with some of the richest reserves in terms of fuel, is struggling to heat its own people? How is it that electricity is a luxury the poor can't afford? In other news, uh, Al-Qaeda, an American drone strike, has killed Amin al-Zawahri, who was one of the main planners behind the 9-11 attacks, and the leader of Al-Qaeda, the CIA, have killed him. Um, From a strategic point of view, it will make little difference because he's not been operational But from a publicity point of view and a messaging point of view, I guess that it is uh, good news. Although I I still, I always struggle to celebrate the death of anybody. I was a bit disappointed to see Nicola Sturgeon tweeting out about how 40,000 Russian soldiers have been killed and basically what a great thing this was. Now, thankfully, after the outroar about it, she's, she's removed that text. But even to think like that. I don't know. I, I I just find it hard to exult at other humans' deaths, even if you can argue that they are deserved. Speaking of death, um, let's look at a couple of people who died. I wonder if you can guess who this is about. Let's have this piece of music first. Well, I bless my soul, but what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man on a fuzzy tree My friends say I'm acting wild as a bug I'm in love I'm all shook up Well, I, I almost feel tempted to give you a prize if you could if you could do that I'd almost tempted to hold it off until next week But uh, no, I won't do that because it actually is about David Trimble. But how does Elvis singing All Shook Up have anything to do with David Trimble? David Trimble, for those of you who don't know, was Lord Trimble, um, the first minister, the first first minister of Northern Ireland, leader of the Unionist Party, who brokered the uh, peace deal, the Belfast Peace Agreement, and paid a huge political price for it. Uh, He definitely is one of my uh, political heroes. He died. I mean, he was given the Nobel Prize and so on. But uh, what does that have to do with Elvis? Well, again, I was listening to the BBC's Last Word, and um, they were obviously talking about his life. 
And one of the things was he was just a real Elvis fan. He talks about going to Bangor and just hearing All Shook Up being played all the time on the on the seafront. Um, just, it was just such, a, you know, human beings are such fascinating people with such variety. And then this man also died. What the Bible tells us about the sanctity of human life should, I believe, lead us to say that we ought to be actively engaged in reducing abortion through legislation and other kinds of activities. But you know, some pro-life people act as if life begins at conception and ends at birth. But poverty is a pro-life issue. 18,000 children die every day of starvation and diseases we know how to prevent. Smoking is a pro-life issue. Six million people every year die because of that prematurely. Healthcare surely is a pro-life issue. If you don't have it, you may die uh, prematurely. I think capital punishment is a pro-life issue. Pope Francis, I believe, is right. He said we must protect the sanctity of human life at every stage in the life of a person. Certainly, thinking and acting biblically about politics requires love and honesty and civility and humility but I think it also requires a biblically balanced agenda. Ron Sider, I think he was aged 82, founder of Christians for Social Action, um, best known for his book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Uh, for me, that was a really, really important work. Now, there were things within it, and there were things that Sider has said since that I don't agree with, but it stimulated me enormously to think about the issue of Christianity and social justice. Um, I, I've heard him described, or saw him described, as a farm boy blessed with a good education. Well, I have that in common with him as well. And then some more uh, good news. Here's Helen Joyce talking about some very good news. So the way that the gender identity clinic works in London is that you can be referred from anywhere in England and the waiting lists are very long. So if a kid says that they've got gender identity issues, you know, a child who's a girl says that she identifies as a boy or vice versa, basically doctors will tend to park everything else that's happening with that kid and put the kid on the waiting list at JIDS, as the clinic is known in the Tavistock. And, the, you know, the kids that the Tavistock sees have many other problems. Uh, they have very high rates of autistic spectrum disorders, self-harm, depression, anxiety, all of these sorts of things. And those things aren't dealt with because there's this weird way that as soon as somebody says gender, they don't do anything else. So what Dr. Hilary Cass said was that this was really not serving the patients properly. And the second problem is that the Tavistock has this hugely ideological approach. It hasn't been doing good medicine. It hasn't been keeping records. It hasn't been doing proper research. It hasn't been investigating the reasons behind a child's trans identity. They've just been assuming that a child who says I'm trans is trans and putting them on these very poorly researched uh, pathways with puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. So all in all, I think the Tavistock can't be rescued. I think it's such a poor and such an ideologically driven service that it's brilliant that it's been closed down. And the things that Dr. Hilary Cass says about what will replace it really give me hope that something better will be offered to these children in the future. That is the Tavistock uh, Transgender Centre being closed down because it prescribed puberty blockers to children. It was accused of rushing teenagers into life-altering treatment on hormone-blocking drugs. An independent review led by senior paediatrician Dr. Hilary Cass 
was also critical of their gender identity development service, which is to be wound down by next spring. Give me shelter. Well, apparently we're going to need shelter because the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, has said that the world is one misstep away from devastating nuclear war. He says that we are one miscalculation away from nuclear annihilation. He was speaking at a conference uh, for countries signed up to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, a 1968 deal introduced after the Cuban Missile crisis. Almost every nation on earth is signed up to that, including the five biggest nuclear powers, but India, Israel, North Korea and Pakistan, who are all thought to have nuclear weapons, are not signed up to it. It's interesting what he says. He says, luck is not a strategy, nor is it a shield from geopolitical tensions boiling over into nuclear conflict. Do you know, we we keep doing this. We keep going on about luck and everything else. Where, Where does God come into all of this? Well, where does God come into the the Anglican Communion? I'm now part of the Anglican Church here in Australia. I work for them in Sydney, and I'm glad to do so. But the Anglican Church worldwide, a meeting at the Lambeth Conference. Well, here's Reverend Mark Strange, the Episcopal Primus of the Scottish Episcopal Church, talking about Lambeth. Hello, once again from University of Kent here in Canterbury. We've just come out of the call on human dignity, uh, a call which uh, was always going to be one of um, anxiety or possibly argument, one which had been highlighted by the press. And we sat there in our groups and we talked about dignity for all people, and we talked about dignity for LGBTQI people. We talked about how we should care, about how inclusion should take place. We had that conversation following a very, very clear statement from the Archbishop of Canterbury that nobody is ever to be thrown out of the communion, that there, there are no sanctions for, for what people do. So I'm just recording this to say thank you. Thank you to those of you who have been praying over these last couple of weeks. Thank you for those who have kept us very clearly working towards wherever we end up on these issues. But thank you particularly to those who once again have found themselves kicked from one side to another as the, the football in the middle of a, a particularly difficult game. My, my sincere apologies to all who have been hurt over these past few weeks. We will be putting out a statement and then, well, we have other work to do before we can return home. But I feel... Tonight, I feel a burden lifted of what might happen at this conference and determined that we continue to be an example of of diversity, an example of enabling people with differing opinions to remain part of the same church, 
to be the church which enables enables us all to proclaim and to be part of the love of Jesus Christ and to continue saying love means love. God bless. Well, it's funny. You know, you listen to that language. You watch what he's saying. My sincere apologies for all who've been hurt. No, he doesn't apologize for all who've been hurt. I actually do genuinely feel hurt by the kind of unbiblical nonsense that has been spouted at Lambeth and that the way that Archbishop Welby sways between different opinions, trying to keep everyone on board who have absolutely contradictory views. I'm hurt by someone like Mark Strange saying love means love, and I'm hurt by someone like him accusing, attacking me in the Scottish press a few years ago for daring to speak up for biblical truth. So, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe that they seek unity. I I think it is so foolish. And the idea that there are no sanctions. Yeah, you you try going against what these primates want and see what happens to you. I'm more concerned about the sanctions of God. Bishop Jill Duff of Lancaster wrote effusively in Premier about there being an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the Lambus Conference. He said it was not just a trickle, but a soaking. Archbishop Justin's words to us at the start of the session on human dignity held it so well as he spoke. It felt like there was a heaviness of the presence of the Spirit of God in the room. I still feel it as I type just now. After we spoke, we had such a constructive conversation around my table. These were brothers and sisters who represented the full spectrum of views across the Anglican Communion. Our notes were typed by a brother bishop from the Episcopal Church who's himself in a same-sex marriage. Really? It was as if Archbishop Justin's words opened an umbrella of faith over us all. My heart was filled with hope, present and future, for the Anglican Communion. Wow. Do you know what Welby said in his opening statement? As shepherds, the bishops, overseers of God's flock, we are commanded to be aware of the roaring lions in order to keep our flock safe. Sometimes that easy. At other times, the lions are roaring so loudly that we see and hear nothing but danger all around us. Well, I've just been reading Revelation 9. I've been going through Revelation, um, Coffee and Revelation, and I've just done one uh, on Revelation 9, the first 12 verses where the star falls from heaven, that's the devil, and the locusts go out to attack humanity. And that is a description of heaven's view of false teachers. The roaring lions that Welby is speaking about are within his own church. The wolves that are destroying the sheep are within his own church. And he needs to have the courage and the conviction, if he's a Christian brother, to stand up to that. It's interesting. I'm, forgive me for playing you this, but I've got to tell you this story. Uh, I, uh, As regards Revelation 9, this is a song um, that was... It uses the words from that. You may not recognize it because it's black metal. It's really heavy. How did that story come about? How did I come into this? It's a band called Crimson Tide. I was at a wedding in Sweden a number of years ago. I sat beside a Swedish man with long red hair who told me his name was Pilgrim. 
that he lived in the woods, didn't believe in electricity, didn't have running water, was the only reformed Episcopal trainee priest. And this is true. I'm not making this up. And that he was the lead singer in a black metal band called Crimson Tide. All of which was absolutely true. And he said, we are Christian black metal. Um, so here's a bit of Christian black metal based on Revelation 9. I suspect that may not be your cup of tea, so I'm not going to leave you with that. I'm going to leave you with something else. City of Light, There Is One Gospel. City of Light are uh, a worship band here in Sydney. They're not, they're about, what, 15 minutes away from us. Absolutely marvellous, their songs. There is one gospel on which I stand for story my father's plan the sun has rescued me you know for archbishop welby there is only one gospel for mark strange there's only one gospel it's a gospel that we need in a world of tavistock and threatened nuclear war and death and uh, drone strikes and people not being able to heat themselves and war in ukraine and threats of war in China and the confusion around culture and society. We need the gospel. There is only one gospel, not the made up gospel, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I stand, as City of Light sing, I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you for being with us this week. It's great again to get responses from so many of you. Please do feel free to send me your response, your questions, your comments. If you'd like to support us, go to the Podbean fundraiser. But remember, there's only one gospel, and I pray that all who listen to this would know the good news of Jesus Christ and would know him personally. God bless you, and see you next week. Bye.
cry.